time sports editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it, welcome to it. It is 7 o'clock on a Thursday morning. This is different. <laughs> this is different, but it is time for your Thursday episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Sorry about my keys rattling. Uh, what's going on, Matt? Not much. Getting at it early before all these football games start. Facts. Uh, do you have a, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours out there if you celebrate this holiday. Um, if you do not, I, I've always called it Happy Family Day. Just celebrate the fact that we are together again, home again. Uh, we got some football, right? It's a couple different reasons to be thankful and just be joyous today. Uh, but again, once again, if you guys are joining us on Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys once again. Uh, and if you would like to, you guys can actually, make sure I back this up, you guys can actually find us at, well, it's at Talk That Talk Radio Show, but you guys can pretty much do it on a, pretty much all platforms except for Twitter. So you can do it on Apple, you can do it on Google, you can do it on Google Podcasts, you can do it on Spotify, you can do it on Instagram, you can do it on Facebook. The one thing that, that I mentioned before that would be different would be our Twitter. Our Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, our Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. Uh, but I think we're hopping right to it. I think we're hopping right to it. Uh, are we hopping right to it? I think we are. I'm not sure if my parents sent me tip-ins. Uh, I know my dad's tip-in from Monday that I said I was going to read on Thursday is baseball-related. So I feel like... Huh. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll, see. we'll see what happens once we get to it because it is baseball-related. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Because he, he's talking about the baseball. Because he's actually just texting me right now. He's talking about some of the changes in baseball and how it could affect certain players. It's a long tip in. I feel like I want to wait only because I feel like a lot of people just come out, just came out of baseball season. And unless they're breathing, living and breathing baseball. I think 60, maybe 70% of sports fans couldn't care about baseball any less right now. So I don't want my dad sipping to fall apart on deaf ears. However, he does make a very, very good point about the Dodgers and Cody Bellinger. So maybe maybe he's on to something here. Uh, but we're actually going to start with basketball today. I think it's the only thing that makes sense. UNLV is off to, at least the Running Rebels, rather, are off to their best start in five years. They captured the SoCal Challenge last night by... Down in Minnesota, 71 to 62. Uh, you actually texted me something last night. Pardon me, we were talking about uh, resume building wins. And UNLV has already beaten the ranked team in t- number 21, Dayton. They have an early season, an uh, early regular season tournament. And you informed me of something that I completely forgot when they played Southern Illinois. But they have a win over a team inside of the Ken Palm top, top 100. This team is six games into the year. And not to mention, in that regular season tournament, they also grabbed a win over a Big Ten school, Power 5 conference. Talk about it. So half of their wins are notable wins. It's not like, it, it, which is funny because coming into this year, we all looked at the non-conference and we said, well, 
throw Dayton out. That's not a great non-conference slate. It's kind of a softer non-conference slate. But half of their wins are against notable opponents. I mean, think of, and people may say, well, you know, Ken Pop, top 100, how many teams could really be in there? 100. Like, no. Uh, if anybody asked that question, you know I would have a field day with that. I don't know. Take a while. Uh, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Let's count. It's like 350-some teams that are in that ranking. Take a while, guess. So to be in that top third and beat a team in that top third, definitely notable. Um, not to mention, this was stuff Kevin Cougar was even doing last year. It just was kind of going unnoticed. He had like three or four wins against teams in the, uh, I think in the top 75 of the Ken Palm ranking. You talked about it last year, and I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't care. I didn't know if it mattered. I, I didn't know if it mattered. What I will say, they, they mentioned it on the broadcast last night. We'll get to specifics in the game right now. But they mentioned it in the broadcast last night, and I completely agree. Kevin Kruger not only lost his leading scorer, Kevin Kruger lost his staff. To be undefeated on Thanksgiving... I think it's a testament to Kevin Kruger and what we have said plenty of times before. This is what happens when you bring in somebody who cares about the program. Yeah. And, I mean, you hit it right on the head. They lost Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams, their top two scoring options last year. You look at the staff, they lost their arguably their top assistant in Carlin Hartman. And they're still 6-0 to start the year. They've received votes to be in the AP Top uh, 25 this past week. I believe they had five votes, and they were in the like thirty-ish range somewhere yep. in there. So I think right outside. Of it. I mean, already UNLV is building a very impressive resume just to get into the top twenty-five. I, I think they could very well flirt with that twenty-five to twenty-four range. And I, I think I even said it after the SIU game. Though know, UNLV, well, kind of after the SIU game, it was more so after the SDSU Arizona game. UNLV could split with SDSU. Like, I think this is a UNLV team that could very well go toe-to-toe with SDSU and give them all they can handle. A team that, by many projections, should win the Mountain West. A lot of people have penciled in SDSU, um, you know, just being the the natural Mountain West powerhouse they usually are with Brian Dutcher there, head coach. I mean, usually you can count on SDSU being in the top three of the Mountain West year in and year out. But I think this is a UNLV team, like like I said, they can go toe-to-toe in both games, I think, with SDSU, and good enough, I think, to steal one of those games. Um, for one, I don't think SDSU can quite as good as people are thinking. They're, now, let me pause you there, because I don't know what people are thinking, but they're better than I thought. Still. And I said that UNLV, after the Chico, no, this is the wrong game. This is uh, the women's schedule. After the Southern game, I told you, even with that win, I saw that the amount of turnover that they forced, I saw the way that they were playing defense, and I said, at the very least, this is a defense that can steal a game from San Diego State. I talked about it before, and we talked about their offense, and said, are they going to have enough offense to put it together when it matters? So far, so good. However... I didn't expect San Diego State to put 88 up on Ohio State. Certain things like that, I don't expect. So when I see it... It's also the same San Diego State team that didn't look that great against Arizona. Indeed. And it's the number 14 team in the country. Though. And they just took another loss to Eric Musselman's team last night in, in Arkansas. I don't think Eric Musselman is being talked about as a great basketball coach. 
I said it went before he even got to Arkansas when uh, he was in the midst of leaving UNR to go to Arkansas. Ironically enough, UNLV was looking for a coach at that same time, and I said, I get that he coached at your rival school. At the end of the day, I don't know if it matters. At, at the end of the day, that's Eric Musselman that's available. He's one of the best coaches that you can get in your budget, and he's coming from Mount West School. He got guys like the Martin Twins to come to Reno. So if you bring Eric Musselman to Vegas, imagine the recruiting he's going to be able to do. And obviously he went to Arkansas, probably a lot more money. Great for Eric Musselman. I'm happy to see what he's doing there with uh, with Arkansas. But Top team team in the country, number nine, I believe. Yeah. And, I mean, look, UNLV, I, I tweeted it last night. It may not have sat too well with some people because they, they may have thought I was discounting a coach, which I wasn't. I took everything into account. I said, Kevin Kruger's the best coach UNLV's had since, mm, yeah, maybe Lon Kruger. And people would go, well, what about Dave Rice? I'll give you Dave Rice. But also keep in mind, Dave Rice was winning with Lon Kruger's talent. Dave Rice had two really good years those first two years. And then when Dave got his own guys in the building, we kind of saw what happened next. You want to, I mean, Marvin Menzies may have been one of the best players coaches I've seen in a while. The players by far loved playing for Marvin Menzies. There was no doubt about that. Yep. Marvin still had some of those games that I looked at the sideline and went, Marvin, what are you doing? Like, you can't be doing this. And then, what, PJ was here for two years as a rental? I was just going to say two minutes. It felt like two minutes. It, he was. Just I like, covered TJ, and I, and I told you guys I actually like TJ. Upon, I've never. I don't think I've ever seen somebody leave campus, and sure there could have been hurt feelings, which is why I'm gonna have to take it at it with, with a grain of salt. But when TJ Osterberger, when anybody leaves the way that TJ Osterberger did, you did have people that would go to bat for him, and then you saw none of it once he left. So I don't know very many situations that you can take everything from that. Because, yeah, TJ probably didn't handle it in the best light. But I also don't want to hear all the bad things about the job once you get fired. You know what I mean? Like, now I'm not talking about TJ. Right. But I'm saying in terms of the fans or even people on campus, you were just his biggest fan two months ago. So now he's at Iowa State, and now he's the worst guy ever. So he falls somewhere in the middle of that. He has to. Yeah, I mean, T. For lack of a better term, TJ was here on a layover. Like he was going to Iowa State. He just had to make anyway. A, yeah, he just had to make a quick stop in Vegas for a quick layover, a couple of years, and then he was gonna get there. Which, Absolutely. If Iowa State's a dream job, mm, okay. Uh, hey man, home is home. I guess you know. Hey, uh, I I personally would have probably chose Las Vegas over Ames, Iowa. But hey, you want to know what else I would have chose over Ames, Iowa? What's that? A couple different places. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. To get to Ames, Iowa, I, some, some things may have to happen. But that's beside the point. Um, and to be honest, I was a little skeptical of the Kevin Kruger hiring because it wasn't really anything to do with Kevin Kruger himself. It was more so having to do with the athletic department. I was more critical on their end because they, I mean, they, they told us, the media, the public, everybody, oh, we're going to go on this nationwide elaborate search for this next head coach. Nationwide, you guys went down the hallway because Kevin Kruger was on TJ's staff. So it's not like you went that far to go hire the next guy. You went down the hallway, you knock on Kevin Kruger's door and say, you want the job? 
great. Also, and this is this is no knock to, to Kevin Kruger by no by no means. Uh, the last two head coaching searches, I've been able to do a little research and even do a little a little reporting, a little investigating, a little digging, a little talking to certain people. Uh, we know for a fact that, and I say we being us. Let me just say me. I know for a fact that before he took the job at Indiana, Mike Woodson was interested in UNLV's job. I know that Mike Miller coming off of back-to-back high school championships in the state of Texas was interested in UNLV's job. I think they were ready to hire Mike Miller. Why they didn't? Okay. From a technicality standpoint, I don't think they would have been able to. Then why they didn't call him? Uh, the... And I would love to. I'll, I'll, I'll ask Mike myself this is and confirm if they call it or not. But based on everything that I have, they never reached out. This is what I was told. I mean, I don't know how truthful it is. This is the excuse that they probably put out on the UNLV end is that Mike didn't have a college degree, so technically they couldn't hire him. They did say that about Jason Kidd a couple of years ago, and then Jason Kidd went and got his college degree. And when I heard that, I said... So you mean to tell me you can't hire a guy where he has the ability to get, get a degree from your institution? Is that what you're telling me? Damn. Because if you want a guy bad enough, you'll make accommodations. You'll be like, well, you know, we need you to have this degree. We're going to hire you, but we don't need you to get this degree from you. I'm going to give Kevin Kruger all the flowers in the world, so we're going to get off of Mike Miller right now. But what I will say is if Mike Miller and UNLV basketball are on the phone, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. If there's anybody groveling on the phone, it's not Mike Miller. I don't care if the man has a college degree or not. Right. Well, the man coached at Memphis. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm not gonna sit here and say UNLV like, oh, well, that means that he doesn't need to, co- or he doesn't need a degree to coach. If that's UNLV's requirements, cool. But you know my 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 go-to about don't blank on me and tell me that it's raining. Because if you wanted Mike Miller, there were ways to go about. I spoke with somebody very, very close to Mike. I'm not even going to put this on Mike because Mike didn't say it himself. I spoke to somebody very, very close to Mike who told me he wanted, me. He wanted the job. There's, very, there's not very many people that come across and go, yeah, I want the UNLV job. Like, I will say this. UNLV more than likely made the right decision. I, think so. I talked about it before because when you talk about Lenny LaRock, who we're about to get to right now, uh, you and you talk about Kevin Kruger. You talk about two people who are from Vegas or have has ties to Vegas, I should say, and they are bred with Rebel blood. So I think that what for whatever the the growing pains, pardon, that come with it, I think as long as you have somebody who's willing to grow with the program, you're in a good space. And I've said it before. While we slowly transition into uh, the next uh, topic, which is the Lady Rebels, the UNLV men's team—they had their streak of twenty straight uh, or five straight games with twenty plus turnovers, twenty or more turnovers uh, snapped yesterday. I think they only forced. Where's my note? Oh, my notes are red. I think they only forced nineteen or seventeen. Seventeen, and they committed nine. I think. Um, so that streak ends. But the winning continues again. They ended up beating Minnesota 71 to 62 to take home the SoCal Challenge surfboard. 
Keyshawn Gilbert led all scores with 17 points, started the game 2-2 two two from 3. I think at the time, he was around 70% for 3 when he knocked down both of those. That's crazy. Through the first six games, so I don't know. man. And I think he had a 2-for-8 game in there somewhere, so let that sink in. Um, but UNLV with the 6-0 and start, they are off to their best start since starting 8-0 and in 2011-12. That same year... Well, tied for the best start. Tied for the best start. Yeah, the 17-18 year they had, they were 6-0. Absolutely. That was Marvin Menzies. They are off to their best start since that year. They've already matched it, but their next step, I should say, would be their 8-0. Start 2011-12 when they picked up a, I guess you can call it a resume-building win, when you knock off the number one team in the country in North Carolina at the Orleans. So... If Kevin Kruger and company are able to recreate and kind of bottle some of that energy, then I don't know, man. Who knows? Up to the sky could be the limit for this team, uh, especially watching the games this past weekend uh, or this past week for the SoCal Challenge. Just hearing some of the uh, – Tim Doyle, uh, who, who was a great announcer, by the way. Um, <laughs> never mind. No, I'm going to say something. I, I, I covered some games this weekend, and – one announcer, and, and by far, I think that is the hardest, like one of the hardest jobs to do. To constantly, to have no dead air on a broadcast is insane. You have to be pretty bad at that job for me to look at you go, you have to shut up. Tim Doyle is an amazing announcer, is what I will say. Anywho, uh, <laughs> Tim Doyle, let, let's see if you can find out which, which sport I was talking about. But uh, Tim Doyle talked about it before, and with the way that this team is playing, it's good for college basketball to be, or it's good for college basketball if UNLV is relevant. And part of me feels like UNLV may get more attention for this early start when, respectfully, maybe those eyes should come maybe New Year's Day. If they beat San Diego State or something along the lines of that, maybe they should. Maybe they're getting eyes a little too early. It could be. Only reason why I say that is because we did talk about this this non conference schedule coming into the year. We talked about it when it was announced originally. We were like, well, how many wins on this non conference schedule can you say we're going to present to the committee and say, hey, this is why we feel like we should make it? Regardless of the fact, I will say this: there was even talk last year. I think it was last year of UNLV possibly being invited for an NIT tournament. I didn't think there was a possibility. This year, I know that you don't start a season 6-0 and and start looking at the NIT. However, let's go back to the last time that this team was 6-0. They went 14-13 and the rest of the way. Love you, Marvin, but it happened. And no NIT invitation. 20 wins, no NIT invitation. Kevin Kruger reaches 20 wins last year. No in, no NIT invitation. Kevin get to the 20 wins last year? He did. Where did he get the 20 wins? That's a damn good question. I thought he was 18 to 14. I don't believe so. If I recall correctly, Kevin got the 20 last year. No, you're right, 18 to 14. I think overall, I think overall in his time, when I looked at it, it was 22 and 14. It was 22 and 14 overall, you're right. So 18 and 14 his first year, uh, no NIT uh, invitation. 
However, you look at the start of this year, Southern is a team that has proven to be okay. But Southern has a win somewhere on their schedule that they probably shouldn't. I think they beat Oklahoma State. I think they beat Oklahoma State. They beat somebody that makes that UNLV win looks in, look insane now. Uh, they beat... Oh, and that's what that's what I was paying attention to. After UNLV beat them, they went to Arizona. Number 17, Arizona. They were plus 28. They lost by 17. And I know a lot of people are like, they still lost by 17. I looked at that game and was like, Southern might be a problem. And Southern ended up beating Cal for whatever it's worth, 74 to 66 most recently. That was November 18th. So these wins for UNLV, they're starting to look obviously a lot better. We talked about it before. They had a win over Kansas State a couple years ago. We found out as the season progressed, wasn't that great of a win considering a D2 team beat them as well. But Southern, Dayton, Southern Illinois. And then we talked about it as well with this uh, SoCal Challenge with respect to UNLV. We weren't quite sure if they were even going to get the opportunity to play Minnesota. Maybe you do go to to California and you get the and your draw ends up being Southern Illinois and Cal Baptist. Yeah, you probably don't have too many favorable wins in that moment. However, the Ken Palm rankings help you out, and not to mention, of course, getting a couple of dubs help you out because now you're leaving SoCal with the surfboard. Um, again, we we talked about it before with Kevin Kruger, and the same thing goes with Lady LaRock, as I said before. And I will continue to say that the Lady Rebel program, as much as I love Lindy, the Lady Rebel program lucked up. They did. We were here when Kathy Olivier quit. To to, to say it nicely. Uh, K.O., what's the deal? Um, we both know. She had every right. That's why it's a little bit funny. She had every... No, I'm on, I'm on KO's side. <laughs> um, she had every right. But I said it in that moment. I said, good luck getting somebody who cares as much about the program right now. And then enter Lindy LaRock. And as much as I love KO, now I'll switch on the other side. As much as I said what I said about KO, they did it. <laughs> as much as I said about UNLV, better do this, they better do that. They went out and did it. The Lady Rebels have started the year 4-0, 5-0 if you include the exhibition game. But they are 4-0 officially on the year. They are off to their best start since the 2017-18 season as well. They are winning by an average of seven, or excuse me, by 20, winning by an average of 27 points per game. And starting tomorrow, they embark on something that Lindy and I was reading your story, something that Desi has, along with the rest of this team, has already committed to memory. This Thanksgiving tournament that UNLV hosts, the weekend of Thanksgiving, three games, three days, they've let it be known since its inception. This is only here to get us ready for the conference tournament. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. Like, Lindy even, because I asked her about it, like, you know, we have about a week off, and then you start a kind of murderous row stretch of three games in three days, and she's like, no, we kind of like it. Like, there's a reason we signed up for this tournament. Like, kind of reiterating the same answer she had kind of gave us last year when the question came up. She's like, no, we, if anything, you know, we want to use this early season to prepare us for later on down the road. And if you go back to last year, it worked out pretty well. They won the Mountain West Conference Tournament. So I would say playing that many games in that many days, 
worked out all right for this team. And a lot of people say that they might do it again. You, they, I mean, it just came out that UNLV's already projected in the NCAA tournament. In the recent bracketology. I bet right you that seed is a lot better than the 13. Not by much. 12. I look at that and say, you got to be kidding. Gross. 12? By the way, last year's 5-12 matchup in Arizona was North Carolina and Stephen F. Austin, I think. Yep. Yep. Because they, they gave UNLV the host seed. So. It just showed you the committee's thought process on that. You know what's funny about sports? Hit the Vegas is where? Hang on a second. You know what's funny about sports? Let's just say that somebody in the... I don't, I don't think it was the case, but the, the seating was weird. But, especially for a program that won not only the regular season conference title, but the, mountain, but the tournament as well. But you get a team who swept their conference... As a 13, I'm not here to say that somebody in the committee or on the committee has it out for UNLV. I would never say that. Well, they definitely do. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I will say this. If they did, that whole bracket almost went up in smoke. Because they, when they slated UNLV against Arizona, I looked at you and I said, I don't think they get this win. I said, but I think it's a lot closer than a lot of people think. I think they scared the hell out of Arizona. Going into the fourth quarter, Arizona was nervous. Arizona was down going into the fourth quarter. Hey, man. Hey, we, man. Looked, we looked at each other like, we, hey, might actually, we might need to extend the stay here in Tucson a little bit longer. Hey, man. The way this team's going. And it's crazy. I think going to that game, UNLV was like a 12 or 13-point underdog. My first thought to you was, that's too many damn points to give the Wimby. I don't care who they're playing. They could be playing the number one team in the country at this point. You're giving me how many? Um, but going into this year, it's crazy because this past game against, um, I'm blanking on it, uh, Bakersfield, Bakersfield, CSU, CSU Bakersfield, they didn't start all that great in the first quarter. They had a really slow start. First they, time all year, right? First time all year they were outscored in a quarter, um, but they've made kind of the second quarter over the past handful of games be known as their best quarter it looks like on the floor because they got to the second quarter and it was a 22 to 3 quarter and the rest was history like and at one point in time they were on a 20 to nothing run on CSU's Bakerfield in that second quarter and this is all coming off of a first quarter where I think they, the Lady Rebels opened up 3 of 10 or 4 of 10 from the field maybe like it was not a great shooting performance in that first quarter some sluggish legs a little bit but like I said once they got it going in that second quarter it was kind of no return at that point kind of knew what was going to happen uh, the rest of the way. But going into this tournament, I think there's a ve very realistic chance UNLV could run the table, win Friday, Saturday, Sunday, win the whole thing. And then we're talking about this Lady Rebel team starting 7-0, and going into what I, well, I think they have one home game, and then after that, they or maybe they go right to the road. Straight after. to the road. Straight to Pacific after that. Then, the, the, you're right. Then it starts, this is where... We talked about it earlier. If we were going to find a spot, UNLV might slip up in the non-conference somewhere. And it doesn't even have to be a big slip up. It right. could just be one or two games where they just don't look right. This stretch coming up on the road could very well be that spot. They're at Pacific on December 3rd. First of all, all of these road games range from December 3rd to December 18th. 
December 3rd, they're at the University of Pacific. December 7th and 11th, they're in Hawaii. On the 7th, they are playing Hawaii Hilo. Um, and I really hope that I'm not pronouncing that wrong. And then on December 11th, they will play the Hawaii Rainbow Wahine. December 18th, they're at Oklahoma State. So they're in Stillwater, ESPN Plus. Sunday afternoon. This is an opportunity. Very reminiscent of like um, when they went to Lubbock to play Texas Tech. That's exactly what it reminds me of. And they almost won that game. I think if Desi don't file out, they win that game. I think Lindy and company, they, they've injected life into this program. And you know what I think is so interesting? You talked about it before with uh, Dave Rice. Uh, we talked about it with Kruger. I feel like for, for a novice fan, not, let me not say novice, for an average fan, it can go unseen. There are 6th, 7th, and 8th graders that are looking at Lindy LaRock's program right now and saying, I want to play with you. Mm-hmm. The best representation that I have of that for you guys right now is the UNLV volleyball team. Look at the talent locally and beyond. You know what? Let me switch this. I would love to know. Don Sullivan still does her recruiting. However, I would love to know how much it's changed from Don Sullivan beating down people's doors. Oh no, man! It's a little easier when you. It's a little easier when you got a national title behind you. I mean, the recruiting point is spot on. I looked at their roster just for curiosity's sake. At one point, I was like, I wonder how many, because I wanted to kind of know, like, okay, how many in-state, you know, players are on this roster? That's volleyball, basketball, basketball. How many in-state players are on this roster? How many are out of state? Like, all right, it's a decent number. And I looked at a lot of where the out-of-states were from. A lot from Texas. Big recruiting ground. Uh, and look at what you're stealing from. Yeah. Like, when you recruit from certain places, like, a lot of people are excited to recruit in terms of basketball from the California area because it's like, well, I came up from going to USC. I came up from going to UCLA. I came up from going to... If you're recruiting any sport from Texas, think about the amount of schools that you're stealing from. From Texas, the Texas Tech, all of that. And... I mean, to put also that in perspective, it's not like this is a roster comprised of mainly out-of-staters. A lot of this is actually in-state and rather in-city, for that matter. You have two people in the starting lineup that are from the city of Las Vegas, in essence, Booker, Justice Etheridge. Um, so it, it, that's also, I mean, I don't want to try and compare the men and women program too much, but that was my biggest harp with Marvin Menzies, is why he would never look at in-city. Because I... I at one point in time, high school basketball in Las Vegas was great. Like, you had Bishop Gorman down the road from UNLV. You had Clark High School at one point down the road from UNLV that had three or four D1 players in their starting five. At a certain point, I looked at, I wanted to look at Marvin and go, bro, you have great talent right down the road. You don't have to go out in the transfer portal. You don't have to go across the country to find the next great thing. Sometimes it's right in your backyard, and you don't even realize it. UNLV football is a prime example of that. I think a lot of people talked about what, what Tony Sanchez was able to do. And at the very least, even if Tony Sanchez didn't get the recruit, UNLV was mentioned in a lot of 
last four, like ultimate uh, final four picks for a lot of these uh, big recruits. And it was because he never turned his back on local talent and local products. Um, and also, if you look at UNLV too, look at how many Vegas-born players are on the are in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Look how many players on the defensive line and on the offensive line through the last. I've only been here since 2017, so over the last five, six years. Go look at that trend and let me know what you guys notice. Um, what else? What, what, what you got? And the, I mean, the biggest thing with Lindy and Rock, where I think we're going to see a lot of these middle and high schoolers start looking at the Lady Rebel program and going, I want to play there, is the fact that Lindy fights for her players constantly. I mean, we, we, we sit right across from her almost every game, and we can see – if there's a bad call, Lindy's going to make sure the officials know about it. And even if she, even if it's a close call, she's still going to fight for that call because in turn it's showing that she's fighting for that player. Even if it's a 50-50 call, even if she wants to give the refs the benefit of the doubt. Not necessarily the point. It's more so to the point that that's my player and you're not about to call anything like that without having to hear from me first. We have watched Lindy for so long. We have watched the inception of Lindy's coaching career. Uh, I was there when Lindy got her first text. And Lindy, we may have both been. We may have been there for all of them. Uh, I was there for Lindy's first second. I kind of asked her about it. Um, and she was like, yeah, like, I'm not proud of it, obviously, whatever the case may be. I think Lindy got her second text the next game. And I was like, Lindy, what happened now? She looked at me and was like, I swear, I don't know what happened. I didn't say anything. She was like, well, I said something, but I didn't say anything that warranted that. Um, so as you as you can tell, like, obviously, Lindy's not out there getting teed up for no reason. But she's let it be known that she has one or two guaranteed things that she's willing to be teed up about. And if it's defending her players, we've seen Lindy get teed up in games where she's up 30. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it happened earlier this year. It was her first game back after having the baby. I'm like, Lindy, what are you doing out here getting the technical? It's your first game back. You need to relax. Like, I would have told Lindy after the game. I would have been like, so Jared told me that Roman was in the lead here. <laughs> what would you do to your assistant if they got a text? <laughs> like, what, let, let's be honest, Lindy. Nah, but uh, that's just the energy that she brings, and we, and we know it. And the funny thing is, it's infectious. Yeah. Like, you – and the funny thing is – We've been around this team long enough, but I don't know if maybe you got the answer, but I'm not sure if Lindy's personality has rubbed off on them or if their personality has rubbed off on Lindy. I'd probably say a little bit of both because I see how players like Desi play. And, I, I mean, after Sunday, I looked at I, – I, the consensus I walked away with after Sunday was this conference better figure out how to guard Desiree. Or Desi – yeah, Desi Ray Young. I almost said Desiree Ray Francois, but Desi Ray Young. They better figure out how to guard her. We're about to talk UNLV football if you want to talk about Desiree Ray Francois. Because if they don't figure out how to guard Desiree Young, it's going to be a problem. She is going to have a field. She's going to be a pencil. Not even a pencil. It's going to be a. Pen, you're going to pin in a double double every game for Desiree Young if you don't know how to guard her. Well. This group is is on a something. I will tell you that. This group is on a something. And as much as we don't like to jinx stuff and things of that nature, I think when you look at this team, this team has let it be known plenty of times, especially after last season, 
one of the things that continues to be said at this point by Roman and by Lindy is foundation, is standard, tone, words like that. This team expects to go to the big dance this year. So this 6-0 and start, I'm pretty sure, or 4-0 start, excuse me, for them, I'm pretty sure that they are, this is business as usual for them. They'll see what happens as things kind of progress. As you mentioned before, we'll see if they can go undefeated during this uh, Thanksgiving tournament because that would obviously give us a lot of answers. UNLV will take on Albany tomorrow at 11 a.m. You're at that game physically, aren't you? Yes, sir. Yes, I am in somebody's bar tomorrow. So, yeah, there's that. Um, by the way, for anybody who uh, listened to, to when did we do the show? It's Thursday show, or Monday show, rather. I did not know that Duna wasn't going to tell you guys where he worked. So that was a genuine laugh on, on the air when I said that, or when I did that. Because uh, I definitely thought he was going to give it up. But once he didn't, I was just like, damn, why I bring it up then? Um, but we can go ahead and move on. Let's round out basketball talk, at least in the, at the collegiate level. By talking about some Final Four sites, the NCAA announced yesterday, two days ago maybe, two days ago, uh, the men and women's side, their Final Four, they've announced that through 2030. And on the men's side, I'm not going to lie, I've never been to Detroit. I want to go to Detroit. I know you just made that face, but I want to go to Detroit. Even being a Packer fan, I gotta see something inside of Ford Field. I have to. I don't care. I don't care if it's wrestling. I don't care if it's a UFC event. I don't care if it's the Final Four in 2027. I don't care what it is. But Ford Field is, from what I've heard as well too, it's one of the least talked about venues that can pretty much hold anything. I, I like Ford Field. Um, I mean, because why would I want to see that? <laughs> but, I mean, I figured I'm that just, was like, yeah. I mean, why would I want to see that? I mean, if I have to catch a Lions game, I will. Shout out to Dan Campbell. That's You know what's crazy? That's how you know you really don't care for a team when you only like their head coach. Yeah. I mean, you go catch a Lions game probably against the Packers, right? I would do that. Yeah. Not this year's Packers. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They might turn it around, right? And go where? <laughs> like, like you could turn around and keep turning and just stay stagnant. But, I mean, uh, I'm going to skip 2028 for right now for obvious reasons. 2029, they are in Indianapolis, another building that I heard is insane. This next one, I've actually been to. In 2030, they are headed to North Texas, Arlington specific. You ever seen Jerry's World? It's a bucket list for me. I definitely want to. It's like an amusement park for sports adults. Like, I'm so serious. I have heard that. Like, I, I had a friend of mine that went to a ca- couple of Cowboys games. He's like, no, it's ridiculous. And everything that I'm saying is from the outside. Everything that I'm saying is from the outside. I went to Texas Stadium, long live my grandfather, long live Popo. Uh, he had us do two tours of old Texas Stadium. And I'm talking locker rooms, field, taking footballs home. Like, everything was great. Um... Long live my popo again. I'm not sure what happened uh, with the new Jerry's World, but we ended up going and we en- we ended up not having a like a tour set. So we were like, all right, cool. Let's just go ahead and, and see what everything has around it. By the time I left, I told my dad, I said, "We 
didn't go inside and I think this is the best stadium in the world. Like, that's a problem for me. Like, it shouldn't be an attraction like that. Would you still hold Jerry's World as the best stadium in the NFL? No. It's still top three, though. SoFi the best for you? I think it is. I think it is. The only thing about SoFi, because now that I'm in it, and maybe this is where, like, logistics would probably have to come into it, because I told you when I was in SoFi, it was hot as shit. Hot as ever. Because of the glass. Because of glass. Yeah. But when it's cold, I'm sure it's the paradise. Like, I'm sure it is. It's beautiful. But I don't know if it can be perfect, only because as much as I love it, They had a weather delay. Like, they've had rain delays there because there's a whole side of the of the uh, stadium at SoFi that's just open. Plain and simple, it's open. So if rain is coming down, rain is going to find its way into the stadium. It's just going to happen, regardless of the dome. Jerry's World has a retractable roof. Same thing with, with Arizona. Same thing with Reliant and, what is it, NRG now mm-hmm. in, uh, in Houston. But... I think a lot of those different reasons, you look at SoFi, you can look at Allegiant, you can look at uh, NRG, you can look at wherever Arizona played. I don't think it's University of Phoenix anymore. But wherever those different teams play, I think you look at Arizona and you'll be like, that's great, but Allegiant. Oh, that's great, but the PA system. Oh, SoFi, that's great, but the glass. I think you get to, to Texas and you look at Jerry's world and you go, I don't know, man. I don't really know if I have a butt. This stadium looks perfect. Then what, you got SoFi, Allegiant, Jerry's World? I think I got Jerry's World before Allegiant. I'm t- they got to fix this PA. They got to fix the PA. Wrestle- some, uh, the WWE came down, and SummerSlam was here. We, we all watched wrestling growing up. They couldn't use pyrotechnic, which I don't know if you've ever seen a WWE pay-per-view. They started with pyrotechnic. So from the jump, the pay-per-view was screwed. The PA system was off to where you couldn't hear people being announced. And then some other stuff happened just with Allegiant Stadium. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the actual venue, but there was issue with bathrooms, cash, all types of stuff. Allegiant has slowly gone to fix that. Jerry's World has been up for, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. How many stories like that we got about Jerry's World? a little unbelievable guy but Vegas has some more time to get it right because they're getting the Super Bowl next year or two, next season I should say 2024 and now in 2028 Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas will be getting the men's final four at Allegiant Stadium uh, we talk about it all the time. We've been on the field at Allegiant Stadium, and those are the moments when you realize kind of where you are and what could take place here. When you're in the middle of Allegiant Stadium and you're kind of looking at everything around it, they've had Final Fours in Detroit. They've had Final Fours in Lucas Oil uh, Stadium inside of Indianapolis. It's a stage. That basketball court is the stage, and everything around it becomes the attractions, right? The the uh, the um, sidebar attractions. 
I know that I know the Super Bowl is gonna be different. I know that the draft was different. I think this Final Four experience is gonna be something that Las Vegas talks about for a long time. I think it may rival and I wasn't even here for it, but just some of the stories that I got. I think 2028, the NCAA Final Four in Las Vegas will rival the NBA All-Star Weekend of 2007. It looks like 2028 will have an NBA team, though, by the way. I mean, it's a decent amount of time still. But what I will say about a weekend, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like a complete dig at the teams that currently play at Allegiant, uh, when Allegiant has something thrilling going on, when they have good product in the venue, it rivals T-Mobile as one of the best venues in the city. It's especially when you have a packed house. I was there when BYU and Notre Dame played earlier this year. I walked away saying that's one of the top three college venues I've been to ever. And I've gone to you know places like Michigan where it's over 100,000, it's in the cold, it's all that. And I looked at and I thought about it and I thought, well, the Raiders have been, eh, UNLV's been, eh. and I walked away thinking Allegiant really hasn't gotten its fair crack until that game and some other events too that have been there that have obviously, you know, been sold out and had great atmospheres. For a lot of what Allegiant is used for, it hasn't really gotten a fair crack to show how electric of an atmosphere it can be. And maybe some part of it also has to do with the fact that the Raiders being in the NFL, the NFL and the college atmosphere are just two different things. It's it's one of the same thing with the NBA. The NBA and college basketball are just two different atmospheres. NFL tends to be a little more sluggish, I guess, if you will, as far as an atmosphere is concerned. Same thing with the NBA. Maybe a lot of beer involved. Yeah, I mean, there's beer involved at both, but I would say there's more passion at the college level. There's more passion for basketball and football. Um, that's why I say when we, we're going to get the Final Four in 2028, the Super Bowl next year, like the Super Bowl is probably going to be electric. That may be the most electric you'll find in an NFL event is the Super Bowl because it's two fan bases that are one win away from you know, winning the whole thing. And not to say that Raider Nation is not passionate, but I've been in Allegiant Stadium on Sunday Night Football when the, the Chiefs came to town. I looked around saying, y'all going to get loud anytime soon, or are we just going to sit here? Like, I know there's not much to cheer about, but you're on Sunday Night Football. You're on the standalone spot. Like, this would be the most, I would expect this to be one of the more hype venues. you got to let them hear you at the very least. And so, when, I, when we're going to, the plan is obviously to get tw uh, Final Final Four or Final Four in 2028. I think it's going to be one of the best venues we've seen, and people are going to walk away going, "No, Vegas is a legitimate spot because the fans like to travel to Vegas. It's always an excuse to come to Vegas for a weekend if your team's playing in the Final Four." And there's just so, like I said, there's so much passion in the college sports arena, whether it's basketball or football that it, it amplifies that that event. It amplifies the atmosphere. It amplifies, amplifies the venue, for that matter. And that's why, like, we, we all kind of look around and like, oh, well, if UNLV were to go to this conference or that conference, 
I'm not sure if going to a bigger conference would be all that bad for UNLV football because it would amplify the event, the venue that they're playing. They're going to get, like, if you go to a Pac-12, you're going to get a lot of USC folks that want to come down to Vegas for the game or UCLA or whoever the, may, the case may be. And even if they don't, even if they want to go to a, right. big, a big 12, a big 10, whatever, you're going to get those fan bases. We saw it firsthand when Iowa State came to town. Now, granted, the building was about 75% Iowa State fans, yeah. but they still filled it up. And that's for a, a visiting team. The same can be said, I think, across the board. If you get a... Eastern Washington had a, a pretty good conglomerate, too. Fresno State is another one. And if you get a great event inside Allegiant Stadium, a, an event that people are genuinely passionate about, I'm not saying it's going to pass T-Mobile as far as greatest venues in the city and greatest atmosphere. It's probably 1A. You have completely ignored Las Vegas Ball Park, and I'm tired about it. Um, I don't think... And on top of that, as I said before, I'll cover Knights games now. Yeah, as much as I love the ballpark, you're number two. <laughs> like, I love you guys, but you guys are number two. T-Mobile is so loud. It is. It's, it's insane, loud. bro. Like, T-Mobile is the only place that I've ever covered that truthfully annoys me. Like, when the fans cheer, because it's so, it's it's deafening. You can't hear the person next to you, and it's insane. Um, and on top of that, the, the T-Mobile Arena does a great job with keeping media away from the fans. It's still so damn loud. Insane. You were talking about Allegiant Stadium, and uh, I don't think he's done the concert yet. I had a conversation with somebody recently. You think Elton John sells out Allegiant Stadium? He should. I mean, you got Taylor Swift selling out Allegiant. This is not a this is not a dig at Elton John because Elton John is Elton John. Elton John's fan base, majority of them, they're older, so I don't know if they're actually going out to like I know my grandmother for instance. I know some artists who she who she loves. If I told her that they were in concert, she's at the age now to where I don't need to go see them. I don't care that much. Like I, I gotta leave my house. I don't care that much. So I'm not saying he won't sell it out. But Elton John just did a show at Dodger Stadium. And somebody was like, how many does Dodger Stadium seat? I said, that's a baseball stadium. So it's between 28 and 30. And I thought about Allegiant. Do I think he's going to double that? No, you might get 45. That, that's where I was at. And I thought about it, and I sat with it, and I said, if Elton John, at his ripe retirement age, is bringing in 50,000 to Allegiant Stadium. For, like you said... UNLV needs to book him for halftime. It really do. Like, it's, get, find something that's going to bring the people to the game, even if it's for halftime. Uh, Allegiant is dead when UNLV plays. God, bro. Oh, it's eerie dead. Like, this weekend's game may be the most exciting it's going to be all year. 100%, but I went through... No, like, let's... I'm, I'm going to drive home the point. I, w I went down to, if, in case you guys don't know, UNLV's, uh, or not UNLV's, Allegiant Stadium's press box is on the fourth floor. So, not the 400 level. So, there's 400 level seating, and there's a fourth level. We're on the fourth floor. We're on the fourth level. So, I went down to the 400 level, right? This was an accident. I'm going down. I was actually going to, I was going to the torch for something. And not that it was lit. But I was going to the torch, and 
I went by uh, the retired numbers that that uh, the retired um, the Raiders Hall of Fame, and I'm walking by those numbers. Every concession stand is closed. Mm-hmm. Some of the lights was off, and I'm walking, and I'm like, I can't be in the right spot. And I looked over. Somebody said, "What are you looking for?" I was at the torch. He was like, "Oh, okay, you got to go around whichever way." But as I'm walking around, I'm like, fam, they've already shut down half the building. Like, there's a football game going on right now. We talked about it before, and I thought that was the best question you could have asked me. How many red anything is in Allegiant Stadium? And it takes you to have to walk around. If you're a fan... You're probably wondering where there's any red. There is no red. From a fan's perspective, there's one red wall in that building and it's UNLV's locker room. So as much as I would like to say, yes, UNLV get more fans out. Yes, UNLV get more fans out. The Raiders need to embrace them. There's nothing in the Raider image about UNLV gear. There's, I don't even think the Raider image is quite frankly open during UNLV games. And, and if it is, you can only buy Josh Jacobs jerseys. Exactly. Like, what, what is happening? And there's two little mini pop-up shops that have a few UNLV hats, a few T-shirts, and maybe a jacket. You ain't told them to kill her, though. They got to pack it up and leave when the game is over. Oh, yeah. It's one of the mobile shops. So that all you got to do is just close it up and pretend like you wasn't even there to start with. And maybe there's like a pseudo... I think there's like a pseudo... It's like a... Because you've been inside the Raider image, right? Yep. There's a shop there that does have UNLV stuff. It's probably a quarter of the size of the Raider image. That's a, that's probably being generous. A quarter of the size. You know what, I, what I've realized? Um, you know whenever there's a penalty inside of Allegiant Stadium, how pretty much the whole stadium turns yellow? Yeah. Why don't they do that for UNLV? Because you, they look at UNLV... Anytime UNLV does anything, you can you can make the stadium light up red, and they don't. Because I think it's minimal effort. There's a reason the Raiders looked at UNLV and were like, "Yeah, no, you go ahead and play on our field after we're done with it the night before." <laughs> when I, you have time to switch out the phrase. Uh, I mean, we said it when it happened. If it, if the roles were reversed and it was the other way around, they would have been like, "Oh no!" After that UNLV game. We're switching, right? I hate to say it. That would have been one of those situations the Raiders would have said, we play the day after. Yeah, so this is the one time you guys will be playing that same board. Yeah, or you have to move that game up one day. You got to play on Thursday. Man, you want to play a college football game at 3 in the morning? Like, yeah. the, Raiders would be, the Raiders would find a way to be like, yeah, we're not playing on that. So, you could either move your game, forfeit it, do something. But the, as I've said before, I'm going to continue to bring it up. Um, I I'd actually ask Mark Davis about this because it's a promotional more than anything. Yeah. It's pro- or it's promotional more than anything. He's got the final say ultimately. You think he he does have the ultimate say, but it's up to him. Like, th- does it make sense? Like, it's up to him in the sense of if he even wants that job, he may have put somebody else in charge of that and been like. I don't want any part of it. You do it. You determine how much they get, how much they don't get, whatever. Um, but as you said before, at any point, I'm sure he could step in. So 
Maybe that's something I'll bring up to him. I won't do it during the Raiders season. No, there's, there's a good option for him. But Aces. Aces time. I'll try to talk. Yeah, he's in a much better mood right now. A lot um, easier to talk to Mark Davis when the Aces are playing. Yeah, especially when he's, you know, chilling courtside watching his team do his thing. But like Complete sidebar, you think Sizzlack is gonna be at the games this year? I think so. I think he's he's going in. Alright, we'll talk. But we'll talk. But like I said, I mean, I say Mark Davis has the final day because like you said, if anything were to go awry, all he's got to do is, whose name was on that bottom of that? Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> is that my daddy's signature on that torch? I thought I was going crazy. My bad. Exactly. What's my name again? Exactly. Okay, cool. Um, No, but in all seriousness, something, I, and, and I say this because this is not me trying to give Marcus Arroyo a cop out. This is not me trying to do anything of the sort. But I truthfully believe that with the 4 and one start that UNLV football had, I was a little shocked to not see the Raiders retweeted, to not see the Raiders say congratulations, to not see the Raiders say just win. I saw nothing. And it's not the Raiders' job to do it per se, but you'd be surprised what a little encouragement could do. And for whatever it's worth, I haven't seen, a, and this isn't shooting at Derek Carr by no means, but why can't we have a quarterback camp with Derek Carr and Doug Brunfield? And obviously all the other quarterbacks as well, but that's a hell of a promotional tool to say, hey, come out, do this, uh, do, um, come out um, and, and participate in this. Uh, more so, I was going to call it almost like a quarterback gauntlet. What if, you, what if you ran something like that, something small? You can include the Nighthawks. You could do it at the Dollar Loan Center. Like, who knows what you can do? But I think it begins with the Raider rebel connection and it just looks like the Raiders don't want it my only guess is there it could be looked at as maybe tampering on the league side uh, there could be certain um, violations to where like you can only do certain things because it's a collegiate team and a, a pro team I'm sorry let me let me highlight it real quick pause time out not trying to say that this person did anything illegal, but the same conversation should have came up with Jack and White then. Because I love Jack, but he was, I don't know how many people outside of the Mountain West knew what he was. You can't convince me that John Gruden didn't sign off on it because it said you were noble. I'm not saying that he was saying, we'll take anybody from UNLV. But he was like, this is the best guy from UNLV? We're going to take him. Because it's UNLV. I will give John credit, John Gruden credit for that. That was one of the first things that happened when the Raiders came here. I mean, he said he needed to give Chuck a workout. I mean, we were talking about great players at UNLV. Great. I mean, if the Raiders ever needed a secondary back, I mean, you got one sitting a couple miles down the road. Staying in shape, too. Yeah, one of the, you know, one of the best rushers to ever walk through UNLV's doors, holds all sorts of records. Well, if you're looking at stats, he's the best one to do it. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, UNLV, I talk, I mentioned that 4 one start for them earlier, but they have lost six straight games, so that does mean... That 
that does mean that this team will go its ninth straight year without being bowl eligible. Maybe. Well, they're not going to be bowl eligible, period. They may have a bowl game. Correct. You have to be 500 to be bowl eligible, and this team would not be 500. So, I don't care how they slice it. This team is not bowl eligible right now, and that's why I even said on Monday that it doesn't mean that this team won't get a bowl game. It just means they're not any help. <laughs> Maybe they would need, uh, I don't want to say that they're wishing for a COVID outbreak, but if a team drops out due to a COVID outbreak or if a team drops out due to not enough eligible players, or um, we've, we've even seen head coaches leave and teams not want to play anymore. So we've seen certain situations happen. So it is still good that UNLV had that four wins in their first five games because it proved what they could do. We saw how fiery this offense could be. Uh, but the injuries happen. And so I think that they do have certain things in their back pockets where if they, if teams are needed for a bowl game, I don't think there's going to be very many teams ahead of UNLV. But ultimately, you can't guarantee yourself one unless you're 500. And for the ninth straight year, as I said before, UNLV football will not be it. But Marcus Arroyo overall in his time at UNLV, I've mentioned this, mentioned this on Monday, he is 4-17 and 17 in the moment. He was two and twelve before this year. So he's got a win against Utah State, two against Hawaii, or one against Hawaii, two against New Mexico. So those are the four. Those are the wins. Because he beat New Mexico last year, yeah. this year. You said Hawaii. Hawaii last year, Utah State this year. Four and seventeen is already bad, and I never thought to look deeper. Those four wins are gross wins. Yeah, I mean those are a lot. Utah State's a good win until you feel like, realize it was a down year. But I'm talking about on the surface, you beat the Mountain West champions the year after they won the title. So I don't know. That's right. a win. And really, I mean to touch on the the bull point, the simplest way that you could look at it is there's thirteen teams vying for seven spots. Yep. You know we need a lot of those thirteen to lose, which. To UNLV's credit, a lot of them can, because a lot of them are going up against, like, like Georgia Tech, for instance, one of those teams. They got to go play Georgia. Good luck. Yeah, Michigan State's got to go play at Penn State. Michigan State's one of those teams. Auburn. That was Jacoby Winters. Auburn's one of those teams, and they got to go play at Bama. So you start looking at it and go, well, if a lot of these teams do lose, UNLV would probably need. I would say UNLV needs about three open spots for them to realistically get in. Because they may be, I don't know if they have the highest academic rate, but they may have the second or third highest in the country. How many schools do you think lie? I'm not saying UNLV does. <laughs> How many schools do you think lie about their academic rates? Probably a lot. All right, cool. But there's, you would think by now there's got to be some sort of verification process. You would right? think, and I, I, this is the funny part. <laughs> I went to high school at Westchester High School. I was in class with some of our best basketball players our best football players, our best whatever. If they were bringing city championships to the high schools, I sat next to people who slept in class and passed with a better grade than me. What? So, you can't tell me it doesn't happen at this level. Yeah. Well, the, nine of those 13 teams, by the way, are all underdogs mm -hmm. this week. Like I said, you got Georgia Tech playing Georgia. I'm not going to tell you that number because Georgia's going to win. 
Georgia Tech's playing Georgia 18. 33. I was going to say 36, and I didn't want to be disrespectful. That's why I cut it in half. You know, it, it, you almost. I didn't want to be disrespectful. You, you, you were almost right. Um, I didn't want to do that. Rice is a 12-point underdog at North Texas. Rice is a five-win team. Okay. Um, Florida Atlantic's a five-point underdog to Western Kentucky. That might be one of those that you look at and go maybe. Florida Atlantic? Mm-hmm. Okay. FAU. Uh, Missouri is a five-point underdog to Arkansas. Missouri is a five-point underdog. Okay. I think Arkansas is winning that game. I think Arkansas wins it too. Um, I think Florida Atlantic could win that game. That'd be the one. That's the one. Uh, UTEP is an 18-point underdog to uh, UTSA at UTSA. They might cover. I don't think they win. Right. And it, really, all UNLV needs is win and loss. They, they could care less about it. Exactly. Um, so, I think, like, I'm with you. I think UTSA could win. So, the only one we're worried about right now is FAU. And, I mean... The rest of the list, like I said, Michigan State goes at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Penn State's winning that. Vandy goes at te- or Vandy hosts Tennessee. I don't think it's going to matter. I think Tennessee wins, even without Hooker at quarterback. I don't think Tennessee's going to fall off that bad. They're not going to lose to Vandy. And then Miami is home to Pitt. Miami could win that game. Those would be probably the two games that I look at and go, maybe, probably FAU, maybe. And if you had me pick another one, maybe Miami at Pitt, or against Pitt. I'm not going Miami against Pitt. I love you, Justice. Sorry, guy. Um, so you think one of the, one of those nine teams is going to win? FAU is going is going to win. That's my guess. I don't know why you're so confident about Michigan State and Penn State. Because I think Penn State it, it's at Penn State. Okay. And there's it came out yesterday. At least six to seven Michigan State players are now charged. I did see that because of the Michigan incident. Do you want to address that? That's we could do it for a split second if you want. Yeah. I don't like that the Michigan player uh, was assaulted. I don't like that the person suffered a concussion. I don't like that seven collegiate athletes are, are all now have criminal records. I won't say who's wrong, who's right. I will say that in this field, we have said it plenty of times. We have seen things happen. And now I'm taking it off of this situation. Because I'm not I don't know specifics. We have seen situations. I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna go back to high school. We have seen situations where somebody's celebrating or the team is celebrating. I'm trying to document it, taking pictures, whatever. Maybe they even grab me in the celebration. There have been times we've looked around and said, now why is so-and-so over there? You are over there by yourself. Why would, that's not even smart. Why would you do that? Cerritos College. For anybody who doesn't know Cerritos College, one of their biggest rivals, if not their biggest rivals, is Long Beach City. I went to Cerritos. We had a rivalry game at Long Beach City. Fans and players almost got into it. We had two players, three players. It was a bad game. We had three players, I think, get ejected, and one player fell out. So we were down to just five. And we went to overtime that game. So we had five players to run with for the last, like, nine minutes. Um, after the game was over, the team was celebrating. Two of the players that had got kicked out tried to come back to the floor. And I remember our coach looked at him and said, now, once you get to the floor, what happened? Because we're in Long Beach. So what happened? 
You are grossly outnumbered. That's it. It's my only takeaway. It's my only takeaway from this situation. Which, I mean, we've seen how rivalry games get. Like, we saw 2019. Devin Bush. Devin Bush. We saw UNLV go to Reno and get beer cans thrown at them after they won the tournament. Big facts. Shout out to Tony Sanchez. That's one of the greatest moments ever. That was great because, you're right, because of everything that led up the the coming weeks into that game, and then he went, that was a great one. Him walking off the field with the LV up and people throwing beer cans, it was lit, bro. It was great. He didn't have to, you know, literally flip somebody off. Winning that game, it it kind of. And I think that might have, did that keep UNR from being eligible? I think it did. I think it did. Or or it may have kept him from being seven and five, one of the two. Yeah, and so... To kind of circle back to UNLV, there's a pathway, but that pathway has to start with a win against UNR. Otherwise, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, at this point, I hate to say it, but at this point, Marcus Arroyo, I don't think he's coaching for his job this week. No. But next year he could be. At this point, I'm not even going to get to next year at this point. Right now, I feel like for Marcus Arroyo, he, I don't know what the next step under coaching for your job is, but he's right there. If Marcus Arroyo, pardon, loses on Saturday, be a lot of questions if that happens. He would have lost seven straight games. UNLV will be four and eight on a year. Marcus Arroyo would be zero and three all time as a head coach against UNLV. I mean, we said it, even if they were to beat Hawaii, but they lose to Reno, we've said it already, that that question that was asked a couple weeks ago definitely comes right back up as far as, so that 4-1 start you were talking about, you're telling me those are the only four wins you got this year? And not to sound like that, but that's kind of the mindset that a lot of Rebel fans would walk away with. You started 4-1, and one, and then proceeded to lose the last seven. And like I said before, I said it on Monday, I didn't like the post-game press conference after the Hawaii game because even though he's not necessarily like Josh McDaniels in the sense of, okay, the coaching staff would take the blame right off rip, he usually circles back to the coaching staff. That's on us. We all got to be better, whatever the case may be, toward the end of his statement. Granted, I wasn't in Hawaii, so all I can do is base, is go based on the uh, clips that were uploaded I didn't hear it once after Hawaii. So my guess is, if I didn't hear it once after Hawaii, Marcus Arroyo, do you feel like the coaches coached a perfect game against Hawaii? You're right. The answer is no. It didn't come out directly. Cofield had to ask Marcus directly. Because Marcus had said something about, oh, well, we just didn't come into the game all that you know, prepared or focused. And I love the question from Cofield. He said, all right, so why do you think they weren't? Focused or prepared. He, he It was in the video he posted, so everybody could hear what the question was. And he just asked Marcus point blank. So why do you think that? Like, basically, not necessarily pointing the blame at Marcus Arroyo, but forcing that answer to where, like, he has to take some of that accountability. That was him. a great job by Cofield, because that was the most journalistic way to say, and whose fault is that? Exactly. He sugar. He he said it very. He said whose fault was that in a very nice way. I the scarier part was Marcus Arroyo didn't get it. You didn't get that he gave you an alley oop. 
You just Your response was, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? 90% of Marcus Arroyo's answer could have been garbage. If he started the answer, though, with, well, ultimately it starts with us as the coaching staff, We're gonna, and then he goes on to proceed to say whatever else, at least you took some accountability for you and a coaching staff. You're at least saying, well, it starts with us first and then trickles down. I don't know why we can, we continue to merge these two. They, they, these are the same sports, but merge college and pro. But we just got on uh, Ron Rivera earlier this year, and I love Ron Rivera. Like, that's probably one of my favorite coaches in the league outside of Mike Tomlin. When he came out and said the reason why Washington wasn't good or wasn't or uh, couldn't keep pace in the NFC East, he said quarterback. He could have been saying the right answer. His former player, Alex Smith, who is a former quarterback, said it bothered him because he's never known Ron Rivera to throw somebody under the bus, number one. Number two, it bothered him because aren't you a defensive coach? You shouldn't be giving up 25-plus points anyway. Like, no matter what your quarterback is doing, that's what you're good at, right? I didn't hear Marcus Aurelio talk about the defense giving him two extra chances with fumbles. Because offense is your thing, right? One of them they even scored on. They did your work for you. They gave you another one. Austin and GK gave you one. What'd you do with it? I'm not blaming Doug for it. I'm not blaming Aiden for it. I'm not blaming Jeff Weimer for it. I'm not blaming anybody else besides play calling for it. And you know I'm... As much as I had questions about Josh McDaniels, very rarely do I come in here and put put a win or a loss solely on a coach or solely on a player. I don't know how many chances UNLV's defense gave them against Hawaii. It boils down to Marcus Sawyer, are you a defensive coach or an offensive coach? Ah, they told me you was an offensive guru. Isn't it? I didn't like the fact that they were traveling the day before the game to Hawaii. He got questioned about that, too. And he, he, he shrugged it off, but I do think... And he should have, low-key. I don't know what you guys want me to say. <laughs> I can't go back. I mean, you're right. You can't go back. I look at more of that going... So you know, as a team, you are traveling backwards two hours as far as the time change. That flight is a seven-hour flight. So basically, you're using all of Friday to travel. And you want these kids, you're expecting these kids just to turn around and go play a game the next day. That's why I said, they, if they were smart, they would have traveled either very late Wednesday or early Thursday. Because if nothing else, you guarantee yourself at least one day where you can have a full walkthrough, a full practice. You can get the sea legs under you on Friday. And it kind of, it, it, I don't say it eliminates, it limits the amount of distractions that are. Because distractions came up quite a bit in post-game pressers. I think for Marcus Royal and, um, and Ajike. Ajike, I mentioned something about it. I don't think Hawaii itself was a distraction for the players. I think the fact that they had to travel the day before, and then Marcus Royal looks at them and goes, alright, now that we're here, welcome to Saturday, we're going to go play a game now. I think a lot of the players were like, we just got off the plane not that long ago, bro. What do you mean we got to go play a game now? Now, I don't know how everybody else is, but when I do my travel days, um, I think this is normal, but I'll always give myself a buffer day. 
Absolutely. I always give myself a buffer day. I don't care if it's the Arizona trip, LA, Texas, New York. Anytime I come back home, I give myself a day to do nothing because my body is not up to speed with what everybody else is in, in where I'm at in this region. So I couldn't really, I couldn't really say either way whether Marcus Royal was wrong. Mainly because he, I heard in his answer, he was like, I played here off of day's rest. I've played here, um, coming in, coming here the day after, or the day before. And he said he didn't notice like a difference or something along the case, or something along the lines like that. Um, I don't know if I want to call Cat, only because if you've, if you've played and, if you played there with rest and you played there without rest, I feel like you take something away from that. And to now, maybe it doesn't matter to you, but now as a leader of men, it may not matter to you, but you should understand that it does matter to them. So I just wonder how much his decision making is, is based on that. Like I hate let me let me let me bring up Kobe and maybe we can maybe we can rotate out of this, uh bringing up Kobe. Shout out to Kobe, uh, long live Bean, um, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I remember they asked Kobe, would he ever be a coach? Kobe signed his last contract and was like, during the press conference, he was like, who, me? Ask yourself that. Like, do you think I would be able to be a coach? The joke about Kobe was Kobe couldn't coach men. Because Kobe halfway through the game would be like, you know what, give me your jersey. I'll do it. I'll do it. He literally takes the ball out. Don't worry about it. I got it. Don't worry about it. You can't do this. Get out the way. Go get, go get the other court. You good. And then Kobe showed that he wasn't. Right. Based on the stories that we've gotten, I wonder how much Marcus Arroyo bases his decisions for his program based on what he feels like wouldn't be a bother for him. We've, we've all seen leaders like that that lead in the sense of be like, oh, well, um, let's, say, let, let's, let's say I was 6'8", Matt. And let's say as a part of the media company, I wanted you to wipe off the top of these, uh, these um, soundproof uh, stations. You would look at me and be like, um, I get it, but I mean, you got a step stool? Exactly. Like, you got something for me to do it with? Because... It's not the same for me as you. You're 6'8". Like, you can go do that. Same thing goes with Salim. Salim is a history major. Whenever certain things come up on this show, I look at Salim. I'm out of my jurisdiction, dog. I don't know what this is. When the election time came up, Salim talked. I'm not talking. Why would I do that? You got to know what works for the people around you. And even with this 4-1 start, winning cures all. We heard Eric Mika tell us that with the G League Ignite last week. However, when losses show back up, it makes you revisit what happened before the Doves started popping up. This is all we've been told. Marcus Aurelio was stuck in his ways. We've been told this since he came in. If Marcus Aurelio starts the year 4-1, I will remind Marcus Aurelio you started the year 
I will also remind him he ended on that seven-game losing streak. He might really want to fight you after that, by the way. Marcus Arroyo was was sad. To that point, I always say, and people kind of look at me sideways when I say this, the best coaches don't have a particular system. The best coaches coach within their personnel. The best coaches don't necessarily need to have an established system because that system may change from year to year. Nick Saban's an artist at this, where Nick Saban has learned how to coach with the personnel he has, and he knows his personnel inside and out. He knows what their limitations are. He knows what they're capable of. And he doesn't try to go outside that box, which is what's made him so successful. A lot of the successful coaches in football and basketball, whatever the case may be, they all understand what their personnel is, what they're capable of, and where their limitations are set at. When Marcus Arroyo figures that out, UNLV will have success. Marcus Arroyo has very, very limited time to figure this out. Yeah, no, it better start like next week. Actually, it better start like this week, actually. Marcus Arroyo... Um, but realistically, next season, too. That, that's when the proof has to be in the pudding. Because he was granted... I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack by saying that he came in at an awkward time in January. He comes in after Tony Sanchez is let go when most of the fan base felt he should have been. And then the way that he was let go was like, well, damn, now he's winning. Like, you see, now maybe you shouldn't have fired. Like, so now they're a little conflicted. They bring in Marcus Arroyo. He has to do with COVID. He lets you know at the end of every press conference in 2020, COVID, COVID. COVID. The following year, he gets to uh, it's, uh, I, uh, only word I have is an excuse, but he's able to use the COVID year being his first year and this being his first full year with his guys as his, as his, as his excuse. And now this year, four and one start. And now the finish. I hate to say it, but this is when I knew that life was a little unfair. Uh, when I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings in California, I worked as a host. In the, not a lot, as a cashier in the front. And um, I was uh, the supervisor up front. And they told me that they were going to move me to server. They told me that they would move me to server for about three months. And I was like, I'm about to quit because y'all lying. Like, what's going on? And my general manager told me straight to my face. I don't have another supervisor for the front desk. So, sometimes it's not the best thing to be the best at your job. Because now I don't have nobody to replace you with. And that stuck with me. Marcus Arroyo, you could have come into this third year and been 4-8. can't have all four of those wins come in the first five weeks. You had people talking about nine and ten wins for this program. I told you then. Yeah, me too. I told you then. I'm looking at six, maybe. I said that there was going to be a stretch of losses. I predicted four. We're at six. We're at six. Marcus Arroyo better not bring up that damn four and one start no more. It makes him look worse. Sometimes it's not good to be the best 
at your job. And I don't mean coaching, but I mean that snapshot. UNLV looked like one of the best teams in the country the first five weeks. Even with their loss. He'll probably point to Andrew, which he has a valid point. They must still be losing one notable injury where Heels and those players were coming back. And Courtney Reese gave you 147 yards at Notre Dame in the absence of Aiden Robinson. Blame them kids when we're gone. Like I said, for Mark Osorio's take, he better not lose on Saturday. Because that's because the elephant in the room in the press conference room will be, so you lost the last seven games that you did. I'll be there Saturday. He might be the first one to bring it up. Be like, remember that conversation we had two or three weeks ago? No, dead ass. And the funny thing is, I, I depending on the way that this goes, I probably will ask it anyway. But the last time you and I spoke, this team had two games left on the schedule. You wanted everybody to remember the four and one start. The main thing that you wanted to take away from this was that the team still controlled their destiny. Two weeks ago, was there a reset button hit? Was there a reapproach to to anything? I just want to know, because whatever happened two weeks ago didn't work if it's a loss tomorrow as well. So even with your 4-1 start, you said two weeks ago that this team still controlled their destiny. How did they manage to let it slip away? I'm talking myself through my questions right now, but I think I might have just found it. You wanted everybody to know the 4-1 start. They know it. You wanted everybody to know that this team controls their destiny. They know it. So what do you want them to know about you guys blowing it? We'll see what happens tomorrow at Legion Stadium, or Saturday at Legion Stadium. This Thursday morning show got me twisted. Uh, we will see on Saturday, 3 p.m., Allegiant Stadium. I will be there. Uh, we don't need to talk Raiders right now. Uh, we'll probably talk it on Monday. Uh, after, well, we will talk it on Monday after the game. Uh, only about 34 minutes left in the show. Less than that, 33, I believe. So we're about to talk today's Thanksgiving games. And then we'll hop into some Vegas go tonight and then Ignite and then we'll head out of here. Uh, today's slate, we've had some really bad Thanksgiving games in recent memory. Last year was fire. I liked all the games last year, I believe. Three out of the last five years have probably had horrible Thanksgiving slates. And I don't know who needs to stop it. I don't know who can stop it. I will say this, though. The NBA, most people don't pay attention to the NBA. Most non-basketball fans don't pay attention to the NBA until Christmas comes. That's when the Lakers play Dallas for the first time. That's when Golden State plays Phoenix for the first time. That's when all of those games happen, right? Brooklyn, uh, Boston, things like that. All the marquee matchups. Most fans don't pay attention not, uh, casual fans don't pay attention until Thanksgiving. I mean, until Christmas. Because of that, the NBA a couple of years ago, I believe, maybe maybe it was more, but I remember I paid attention to it maybe three or four years ago. The NBA stopped scheduling games on Thanksgiving. 
I'm pretty sure because David, or rest in peace to David Stern, I'm pretty sure Adam Silver sat with the idea and said, well, we're asking these players to play at least five teams, or uh, ten teams, five games, to play on Christmas Day. I'm giving everybody Thanksgiving off. I'm pretty sure that was his thought process. The NBA makes it a point when you know that the schedule is coming out, everybody's going to go to the, to, the, to the Christmas Day games. When's the last time the NFL schedule came out and you went to the Thanksgiving Day game? Detroit, got to go. Got to go. I've been saying that. I don't know who the position it was to put Detroit on Thanksgiving Day every year, but they're never that good. Minnesota in prime time, got to go. crazy because I looked at that game and I said now if they were in the slot Detroit's in I'd probably go a different way I'm mad at that why this is perfectly fine but why are we not watching three divisional matchups today why is Minnesota and Detroit not playing at 930 why is Dallas and the Giants not the nightcap why is Buffalo and New England not in the middle sad to say that Dallas team going to be the best game of the day? Hell yeah. Because, like, I look at the other two, I'll, I'd probably watch Detroit, but not for Detroit. I'd probably watch it for Buffalo. I'm going to watch it to see if Josh Allen is still throwing interceptions. Yeah. If you're throwing picks against Detroit on Thanksgiving, you should go out there and dominate Josh Allen. You should go out there and have four touchdowns, walk off with a, with, with a turkey leg. That, that's what should happen today. And the nightcap game is not. All that exciting, especially... It's not exciting because I think it's going to be... It'll be a good game in the sense of it'll be a close game. It's not going to be a high-scoring game. It'll be like 16-10. Yeah, people are going to be falling asleep during the game. Damn, Ramondre Stevens. Stevenson, excuse me. And Dalvin Cook. Yeah. That's it. A whole lot of running. And then it comes down to coaching. I I trust Kirk Cousins more than I trust Mac Jones. Bill Belichick more than I trust whoever's on that other side. Kevin O'Connell. My point exactly. I trust Bill Belichick more than I trust Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell's at home with Pat Mattersen. I don't think he does. Um, we'll see what happens. I, what, who did I pick? I think I picked Minnesota. I don't know. I picked Minnesota. I picked Minnesota only because I don't believe Bill Belichick will be able to overcome just a quarterback that can't do it. Or that's not going to do it today. Um, but whatever. What do I know? Who knows? Maybe a, a Mac Jones star be born today. Uh, I will say this. You know what What circulates the news headlines and, domina- and dominates the news headlines tomorrow, right, if New England gets this win? Mm-hmm. Mac Jones being the best quarterback in his class. Who's in his class? Who knows? Who cares? Okay. I'm just telling you. Wasn't Jalen Hurts in his class? I believe so. That's disrespectful. I'm telling you something. That's disrespectful. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. The fact that he's in New England, if he wins against a, a team who started as fiery as Minnesota did on Thanksgiving Day, on the road, Mac Jones is going to have some, some some headlines tomorrow that he might be a little unwarranted. But I think so. Because if, if you're telling me you, get, you can get Jalen Hurts or, or Hurts or you can get Mac Jones, I'm not thinking too long about that one. That's a pretty easy one for me. If somebody said you want Lamar Jackson or Mac Jones, how many, how many what, what percentage of people do you think is taking Lamar Jackson? Um... 99.9% and the 0.1% is in New England. Bill Polian. 
people in Boston, and maybe even some people in Boston would tell you, nah, it's a bar. Uh, but a lot of the Patriot fans would be like, nah, Max Gray. Everybody else in the country would be like, you're crazy. I'm taking Lamar Jackson any day of the week. I don't know why you even need to say. I think some people try to overthink. They like you can outthink yourself. No, somebody said this. You can outthink. No, you can outplay, or you can play yourself out of a position. You can play yourself out of a position. And that's where I'm at with it. I think a lot of people try to overthink certain situations. Like, I, I did hear that earlier this uh, week when um, when Philly lost to Washington. Yep. I had somebody ask me about Jalen Hurts, and I kind of looked at him and was like, Jalen Hurts had a, he had a bad game, but it's still fine. Like, I looked around and was like, did you, did you win eight games by accident, or am I tripping? Like, I don't think. I said, okay, all right, maybe I'm going crazy. Uh, speaking of going crazy and, and, and winning games, it's looking like the Knights are back in the win column. They've won back-to-back games. Logan Thompson was in between the pipes for both, for both of them, coming off of a stretch where the team lost three of four games, and now they've won three or four games. Most recently, they took down Ottawa 4-1. to one. That actually started out a three-game homestand for this team. Yeah, it's a good, good start for the Knights. Um, they use... To what Bruce Cassidy called the quarter pole on last game? Yeah, last game. Not the most recent game, the game before that. Vancouver. Though. Vancouver. It was the 20th game of the year. And to a degree, he's right. Like, that's kind of where you. He said, yeah, we, we saw that Vancouver game. It was the 20th game of the year. And we just kind of look at where the team's at. We kind of assess where it's at, where we thought, you know, in comparison to where we thought the team was going to be at to start the year. To where they're at at the quarter mark of the year, and then I think they probably reassess at the All Star break as kind of the next assessment point as far as where this team's at. And I mean, all things are trending towards the right direction because I mean, Logan Thompson, um, I believe, coming up with thirty eight of thirty nine saves against the um, Ottawa Senators last night, and. Really, I mean, even when he's not in, in between the pipes, his backup's not a bad option either, Aiden Hill, who's also been a top-ten goalie in the league this year. Um, you know, one of the best goalie combos you can think of right now in the NHL. And the biggest thing, and LT said this last night, he's, you know, I kind of like what he said because to some it may sound a little arrogant, but we've had this, this conversation about arrogance before. You kind of need some if you're going to be successful. He said, yeah, no, I felt like, you know, the, the past handful of weeks or recently, I haven't played that great. Like, I've, I've had better games, but I do feel like tonight I was making saves and I ultimately was giving the guys a chance to win. I think 90 to 95% of the time when the Knights take the ice, is whether it's Aiden Hill or whether it's Logan Thompson, either one of those guys is consistently giving Vegas a chance to win every night, even if the offense is a little bit sluggish. They're keeping them in the game. You talked about it before, and I mean, it, it, we, they hadn't seen it since November 17th, but to put up a one spot, right? And, and, and we talked about the save percentages for this, for this t- uh, tandem all season long. And just to, to be frank, this team has... Exceeded expectations? I wanted to try and curb my enthusiasm, but um, I think it's safe to say, even if you did think the Knights were going to be good this year, or great this year, 
I don't know if you expect them to be great to the tune of 16, 4, and 1. Uh, 33 points, they're first in the Pacific. I know a lot of people were very, very high on the Kings coming into the year. Um, Currently lead the Kings by 8 points. And we're at Thanksgiving. I mean, at, at this point, I, I feel like you're going to get a lot more shuffling in all of these standings, but the Pacific for sure. I think that the Knights have done enough to be the boogeyman of the division. Not everybody's scared of the boogeyman. If the Knights still stay on this pace at the All-Star break, do people start fearing Vegas a little bit more? I think people fear Vegas now, and they're lying to you if they say that they don't. I don't think that's very far off because I think similar to what we've talked about before where the, the feel with this Vegas team every night is they're going into the, the arena knowing they have a pretty good chance to win. It's just a matter of what that percentage is at, you know, depending on who they play. I think there were games last year where a lot of Vegas fans went into games not having a great feeling about them winning because... Yeah, I was in those people. Be, and, it, and this is going to sound like a dig, and maybe it is a little bit. I think they've looked at Robin Leonard being in between the pipes, and the Vegas offense in particular looked at that and went, I guess we're going to have to put up four at least, um, where now they look at that same area of the ice between the pipes, and they go, oh, well, if we put up three, we're probably having a good chance to win, right? Like, those guys aren't going to let us down that much, because they, they have, they've proven that they haven't so far. Like, typically, Logan Thompson or Aiden Hill probably give up one to two goals a game, I would say. That's about the fair area to where they typically will give up more than two. They may give up one, but you may get those occasional games where they don't give up anything. And I can tell you, as an offense, it makes everything flow a little bit better because they know that they're not having to keep up with their goaltender. They're, they're knowing that they know they don't have to put up four goals every game to have a chance to win. When you have that in your back pocket, you, everything flows. There's a reason the fourth line is playing as well as they are on offense, because there's no pressure. Hmm. They know they can go out and they can play free. They know they can go out and play their style of hockey, which, ironically enough, has gone from a, and I think Will, Will Carrier may have said this last night too, it's funny how they've gone from a big hitting line to now a big momentum shifting line as far as grabbing goals when they matter most, um, all sorts of different things, especially on the offensive side of the ice. Which is why I think, for me being, uh, uh, I'm not going to say a casual, but I, I guess I'll say a novice for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm probably a step above novice, but not an expert at the field just yet. But in one of the games that I covered this, this year, I told you before, when he started with the fourth line, uh, it might have been against Anaheim. I'm pretty sure it was against Anaheim. Um, almost scored right away. And it's one of, I think Keegan Colasar did it. And it's one of those moments where when you watch it, you wonder how much you ride the hot hand, right? And I I guess I, I wonder if if it keeps up all season long. Do you go into the postseason and, and – and possibly start your fourth line in a postseason game? I don't see why you don't, especially if it's working. 
I just say it in terms of baseball, right? So let's just use baseball as a reference point. And I know that these are two completely different sports. But, for instance, let's say that uh, Cody Bellinger. Let's use him as a reference point. Cody Bellinger, um, when he slumps throughout the year, ninth in the lineup. Sometimes as low as six. Or sometimes as high as six, even when he's slumping. But when Cody has it going, you can, put, you can plug Cody in the middle, right? You can plug Cody in the middle. What happens if... Cody's been stinking it up all year. Somebody goes down. You need a lefty in the middle of the lineup. You put a lefty in the middle of the lineup. It's Cody. You put him in there at four or five. Put him in cleanup or, or in the fifth slot. Cody goes crazy for the last month of the season. When the postseason starts, do you put him back? Only reason why I say that is because the fourth line is the fourth line for a reason. So I'm just wondering if you continue to ride that hot hand. Or if you think that the the postseason is a reset button, you have to re you have to reset you have to reassess certain things about your team. How much do you think that's going to cross Bruce Cassidy's mind at that point, if it's even done it at all? Pardon, I'm sorry. Let me throw a caveat in there one more time, because he has said this going back and forth with Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson isn't going to work all season. It's not going to, I should say work. It's not going to happen all season long. At some point, he's going to commit. That's why I asked the question. I think he's somewhat committed. He may not be fully there yet, but you can sense that Logan Thompson is starting to get a few more of those looks every game. He's starting to get a couple more nods in that. But I do think having Aiden Hill as an option, especially when we get to the postseason, is beneficial for the Knights because it proves that they're, they're deep at goaltending, right. a spot that a lot of people, including myself, had questions on going into the year. And I think there's just a certain confidence level when teams roll out on the ice for the first time in, against, in the opening face-off, and they look across the ice and they go, now wait a minute, that's the fourth line? And some, a lot of the times that fourth line is playing just as equal to the opponent's top line, if not outplaying the opponent's top line. Can I ask a question? What's been the shortest shift for the fourth line that started again? In, I, I mean, they're typically out Maybe the shift changes. I mean, maybe they usually put out at least a solid minute to minute and a half. Okay. I think the shortest shift I've heard of is maybe Phil Kessel's line for like 37 seconds or something like that. But typically, like... If we're going fourth line, I like it for a minute and a half. Yeah, if you give me a solid minute and a half out of the fourth line... And then teams start changing lines, and it's the Vegas top line versus whoever's second, second line. Second line. Oh, the game's over. The game's almost over at that point because right. you, that, that's the, it's demoralizing for an opponent to go, yeah, that was our top line, and their fourth line played just about as good as our top line, if not outplayed them. Yeah, man. I don't think they'll admit it. I think a lot of teams are afraid of the Knicks right now. Uh... With respect to this development group, I don't think anybody is afraid of the G League Ignite as of right now. But it's some things, it's, it's some scary things happening over over in this team. But most recently, as you guys may have known, if you guys paid attention to the last uh, episode, I told you guys about a four game road trip that was beginning for the Ignite. They did play back to back games against Ontario Monday and Tuesday. Dropped both of them. Your Ontario Clippers are eight and one on the year. Yeah, man. They won eight straight games. Uh, they are 4-0 at home. Do I have any other numbers? 4-0 at home. Another 8-0. Oh, I do have other numbers. 
when these two teams were set to tip off on Monday, which is the first of the two meetings, this series was, well, for me, that first game was pitted as one versus three. The Ignite at the time, with a three and four record, were the third best team in the Western Division. Back-to-back losses, and now they are in the last spot of the Western Division. So they are three and did I write it? I didn't. They are three and six on the year. They're three and six on the year. Scoot Henderson didn't play in either game in Ontario. Um, gonna I'm gonna confirm to be sure because when obviously we heard Jason Hart say the next time we see him he'll probably have a mask on. It was never told to me verbatim that Scoot Henderson has a broken nose, but. It appears that Scoot Henderson has a broken nose. Or, again, like I said before, this is me speculating. Let me go ahead and throw that out there. Nobody has told me that. But by Jason Hart saying mask, could be a nose, could be an orbital, could be cheekbone, could be a couple of different facial injuries. So, I believe based on what I saw and the summer that I saw Scoot take, I saw Scoot kind of point near the middle of his forehead. If that's the case, that's the bridge of the nose. So I think it could be in that region. I will say this, though. This team has gotten a lot healthier, even with Scoot Henderson missing these last two games. Leonard Miller returned on Monday, 19 points, 7 rebounds. He missed the last four games. Uh, somebody I went to high school with, Cameron Young. Uh, this That's interesting. I went to high school with Cameron Young from the G League Ignite. And uh, since we – he graduated the year after, I think. Maybe two years after, I did. So I had one year of covering Cameron in high school. He has since gone to Quinnipiac. Played for the Memphis Hustle last year in the G League. And played for the... And he may have played for the Canton Charge. I know he played for the Cleveland Cavaliers G League team. Uh, or the Cleveland Cavaliers Summer League team this year. Um, but he made his debut on Monday. He made his debut... He was inactive the first two games, and then he suffered a concussion. It forced him to miss the rest of the games before making his debut on Monday. Uh, I believe he had 10 on Monday, 12 on Tuesday, or maybe vice versa. But 22 combined points in his first two uh, games. Did have a combined three, uh, four, four three-pointers in those two games as well. And in addition to that, Sharif O'Neal, who has missed the last two games, did get some playing time on Tuesday. I was speaking with somebody from the communications team on, well, the last time they had a home game. And as I mentioned to you guys before, I think it was on Monday, that Sharif was back healthy. They were just slowly working him back into everything. Uh, Tuesday was officially his his, his uh, first game action back. I believe he played six scoreless minutes. So just to give you guys an idea of where the Ignite, where they're headed, rather, um, both literally and figuratively. Uh, but in terms of the literal sense, they are headed to Santa Cruz tomorrow for a date with the Warriors, and then they will wrap up the trip on November 28th in Salt Lake City against the Stars. Got anything else? I'm good. I think we're good. This is an early morning show. We got some football coming up soon. So that means we're out of here. Until next time, guys. It is be crazy. Oh, fuck it.